Bam. Yeah, everyone says you have a good face for uh, Radio Beast. <laughs> you really... Uh, specifically like audio erotica which is very weird (laughs) (laughs) right you know any audio can be erotica if you listen right (laughs) (laughs) go team venture Gary, nobody cares about the Venture Brothers. People care. Well, just be quiet. All right, fine. People really need to know this stuff. Welcome out, ladies and gentlemen, to another spectacular episode of Conjectural Technologies, a Venture Brothers podcast. We are your staff podcasters, if you will. I'm one of your co-hosts, the inimitable Professor Brock Savage. With me is my longtime companion, Beast Lamode. Hola. And of course, we are joined by our long lost cousin of Robobos, Robobob. Hello. Say hi, Robobob. Hello, folks. Well, we are excited to bring you the second episode of our deep dive into the mind of Rusty Venture. And today, We are going to be exploring this in an episode that initially aired on June 8th, 2008, The Doctor is Sin. Well, and before we really get, like, uh, uh, elbow deep into the episode, uh, as it were, (laughs) (laughs) um, so we've debuted our, our first episode, and generally speaking, the feedback has been likable neutral you know just a lot of thumbs up on on various social medias but the only person to give it any sort of in-depth like you know uh i i like this i don't like this basically said our premise was preposterous that psychoanalyzing a cartoon is dumb they couldn't be more wrong just gonna say that (laughs) all right hit, hit hit me bob well Okay, cartoons, just like comics and movies, television, literature, all these are forms of human entertainment. And all these forms of human entertainment center around characters. I mean, even music, uh, a lot of music centers around characters, and it's songs about characters. Characters are the ways that we can explore the human experience outside of our own direct human experience and stories are the way we do that uh, most effectively and that's why they're so popular in so many media or mediums and so that's uh you know and so if you have a cartoon show and that's something that actually the venture brothers is a wildly popular cartoon show among a very select few 
because <laughs> I love the way it's wildly popular among a very small group. That's it's right. It has 100% approval among 4% of the population. That's right. <laughs> the, the folks that love it really love it. And obviously, if we're doing a podcast on it, that's because we do. But it's because the characters speak to us, you know, um, and we, we get to explore ideas and, and, and you know, and, and premises set up from our childhoods. But we get to see what what happens to these cartoon characters when they grow up and become responsible adults and what their world is. I, uh, I, I take issue with the responsible adult aspect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't blame you there, really. Um, let, let me let me also throw out really fast here. Um, I am not a trained psychoanalyst. I know Beast Lamode is not uh, Robobob. I'm not sure what your uh, circuits were built with. If your posit- positronic network allows you to psychoanalyze on the fly, but well, uh, he's not like data. Um, yeah. is built for all forms of pleasure. That's right. <laughs> right. It's, it's you right. know. Psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis can be a form of erotica. So, <laughs> wow, I love that his 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 civilization can be erotica. What what was that Freud book, Civilization and Its Incontinence? <laughs> so, um, one of the big things that I'd like to kind of point out about this in particular is that what we're really doing here is exploring something that we absolutely love in a way that isn't just, hey, they fought. Like, character motivations account for a lot. And if you can look at character motivations in Shakespeare, then you can just as easily examine character motivations in the Venture Brothers or even He-Man. I mean, let's face it, that's what makes drama interesting. And to pretend that the Venture Brothers does not have a flair for the dramatic, I think is selling it very short. I couldn't well, and, and really, I think that the premise as a whole, like um, we're not really the ones doing the the the, am, the armchair psychoanalyzing so much. No, as, it's like, the writers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Doc Hammer and Jackson Public, you know, armchair psychoanalyzing Johnny Quest, you know, adventure and, is just the thought experiment for that. Um, it is so indeed. Really, like, I mean, you know, like I tongue in cheek titled the episodes like you know. Uh, the psychosis of rusty venture and this guy took it like way too seriously and then basically like you know well deconstructing cartoons is dumb and you i'm know, like you know what don't tell me how to live my life right. I, i'd, I'd also like to i'd also like right. look, look, look i want to thank him for telling us what he thought because that is awesome and the feedback is outstanding even if it's not always what we want to hear i'd rather hear it okay um, I'd also like to point out that that's why I had a rule about never dating psych majors in college. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. So, uh, so that's not you rule are not you are not getting people on this podcast who are trying to solve themselves through the Venture Brothers. No, <laughs> you know you say that, but like I do have these weird moments where I'm taking notes in episodes where I have epiphanies about myself. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, we're diving into that um, kind of as the series progresses, I feel like, uh, you know, the fact that I'm naturally arching my little brother, <laughs> my <youngest laughs> little brother, 
<laughs> um, he he's actually he's in the service, so like we're not going to name check him or or the branch, but we're just going to call That's him. That's right, Tucker. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll call him Deep Diver, and he's not a bad guy. I mean, I'm not a bad guy. Dude, like, I prefer. Brother is awesome. Your little brother is awesome. <laughs> no, no, I mean, yeah, absolutely, like great dude. But it's like that one scene uh, in Civil War, like Marvel Civil War, where uh, or like Captain America Civil War, rather, where um, you know Stark and uh, Rogers are in the room, and he's like. You know, I really like you, but I just sometimes I want to punch your perfect teeth in. And uh, I put that in a Christmas card for him last year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he's got it framed in a place of honor on his expensive mantelpiece. So Um, anyway, we're not here to talk about my problems uh, as much. We're here to talk about Doc Venture's problems. Amen. Well, and that brings us to starting our deep dive on this episode. The Doctor is Sin. Uh, So uh, let me kind of back up a little bit and explain for our listeners how we're kind of picking these episodes. What we were doing was we kind of bounced between each other, getting to pick an episode that we thought really drove home and a, a key personality element or key explication of the character that we were looking at. Like, if we were trying to sum up this character in three episodes, what's one episode that I would pick? What's one episode that Beast Mode might pick? And what's one episode that RoboBob might pick? Or one that we all agree on, right? So, yeah. theoretically, if you're picking an episode, the rest of us don't have to agree with it. We can absolutely disagree. And it's your opportunity to prove it to us in this episode and the listener. And so, for a lot of the listeners... You know, we are kind of the stand in and we're right there with you as we explore these episodes together. Um, Now, with that being said, I got to pick this episode and there are a bunch of different reasons why I picked this episode that will become clear as we go a little bit further. But the overall point of it was that it plays to all of Rusty Ventures, um, bad habits and his potential and it leads to what i think is one of the finest moments he has ever exhibited in any episode and we'll get to that toward the end and i'll explain why it's one of his finest so well and you're a total uh yeah you're a total killinger fangirl i love killinger (laughs) you know so uh I, i well all right let's not get too far ahead of ourselves let's not spank the car before the horse all right. <laughs> Fair so enough. let's go ahead and begin with our opening scene, which is a bunch of illegal immigrants, migrant workers sitting on the side of the road, some of whom have just gotten picked up in a truck and the rest are left behind as the truck pulls away. They're shivering in the early desert morning, not wearing, not dressed appropriately, I'd, I'd like to add. Uh, when Rusty pulls up and is like, 1951 hover car like (laughs) easily based on you know whatever ufos were thought to be at the time it's like oh what if we just made it a hover car so he pulls up in this old hover car and starts naming off the positions he would like to hire these migrant workers for he pulls up he's like i've got 50 smackaroos somebody want to put in an honest day's worth of work and what does he start asking for 
Um, oh, okay. <laughs> Before we get into the list, number one, I love the idea that there are super science migrant workers traveling the country in, in the Ventureverse. <laughs> right. uh, and number two, going back to the, the uh, you know, um, UFO thing, like the, the, the flying saucer thing, we know that they come steeped, like they're a family steeped in super science. Like, what if, uh, you know, the 1947 Roswell crash was just Jonas, you know, kind of screwing Messing around. Messing around, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. The, so uh, the, the alien like, bodies were just like malformed clone slugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, or just victims of super science. <laughs> right. in oh. um, but all right, so the, uh, the list of... Uh, skills that rusty is looking for so he's looking for rocket engineers super fusion rod insertion specialist with, with ventrilium handling experience right and I'm, I'm pretty sure ventrilium is like you know an element named after jonas right um and, and plasma spectrum analysis and, and they're all they're they're all stepping back as he's reading this list except for one plucky young guy until he says ventrilium and that just pops his bubble. Yeah. And you just see him fade, too. And Dude, it's bad. His arm starts going up. He's like, yes, yes. I oh. Oh. <laughs> you know, and, and Rusty sighed. You know, he looks at him and he realizes he's not going to be able to hire anybody. It's here. the look on the dude's face when he realizes <laughs> you've just gotten his girl to go home with you. <laughs> oh dude no it's the same look i get when i feel like i get to use part of my community college degree <laughs> oh. <laughs> like i immediately i'm like yes i get oh oh you're not specialized enough sorry bud <laughs> which part the part you learned in the learning lab <laughs> the learning lab uh meat knives meat knives yeah we'll just leave it at that so uh Obviously, Dr. Venture is not able to get his uh, specific needs met. So he jets off, disappointed that he was unable to find what he needed. And as he's driving away, he passes a sign. And it's one of the old iPod ads, like with just the figure in silhouette dancing around with like the, the static color behind him and the white, you know, earbud cables coming out. And of course, it is Jonas Jr., Showing us right out the gate just how much better Jonas Jr. is at being the man Rusty wants to be. Yeah. Now, and me and uh, me and Robo Bob were doing some uh, like research together, and uh, we're not entirely sure, but are are they called J pods? <laughs> right. Does does that ever yeah. come back? I don't know. Because it's that... J pad, right? Like the, the pads that show up later. Oh, are those J pads? I thought they might be. I'll have to J pads, J pods. Oh, yeah. that's so good. I, I'm not as yeah, I'm not as well versed in the, the later seasons as I'd like to be. And this is definitely like, you know, the project that is helping me get through. Like this is a, a great excuse just to rewatch Venture Brothers. Um, you know, spoiler alert, podcast listeners, like <laughs> <laughs> but uh uh, um, I love that like Jonas has already started his branding like he's already got like that you know uh, scrappy you know Silicon Valley Steve Jobs you know uh, branding going on 
Um, and you know, Jonas is still flying around in his like 1952 flying saucer. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, just a tiny detail, but it's really good. That thing is so old and beat up, like it's rusty, you know, and you know, haha, rusty's driving <laughs> rusty, right. but. And also how badly Doc drives that thing. Yeah. Like when he comes sidling in and he has to turn around and come back because he can't stop it. Yeah. That's not wrong. his strong suit. He's, he's, he's not his strong speed suit. I, I wonder, is that, you know, is that more of a thing of his own ineptitude or is that just a failure of that particular technology as well? I don't know. I, I, I am going to chalk it up. Talk. Yeah. I'm going to chalk it up to both. Because Rusty's not good at most things. Right. Um, so that gets us to our opening sequence. Mm -hmm. And the big lack of elephant in the room, so to speak, like the elephant that should be there that isn't in the room where we're at right now in the series, is that the monarch is gone. Yep. And they address this right out the gate with Brock, Samson, and the kids taking dead guys off the electric fence. Well, and uh, so according to the, the Go Team Venture um, Bible here, uh, the episode was actually plotted as a part two to uh, the Dr. Girl, Dr. Mrs. the Monarch um, and Monarch story where they get elevated to the guild. You know, life kind of moves on, but he has to give up Rusty Venture. And, and obviously, like, he takes, you know, takes issue with that but um that's uh and initially where they had the episode stacked um but then they decided to kind of instead of making it a two-parter just make it two separate stories kind of vaguely about the same thing about like you know them moving on yeah. um so this is uh, the monarch is kind of doing and then this is what happens to venture in the vacuum of the monarch yeah uh -huh. and he's he's not doing well he's not because they're cleaning the dead guys off, one of whom is Manosaurus. Brock decides to take a little trip further down the fence, see if any of the henchmen are there. And we've got Rusty on the phone calling Jonas. I wonder why he would have been on his mind. And what does Jonas have going on in the background? Um, absolutely everything, it looks like. Um, I noticed that... Uh, there, oh, but the, the main thing, like, I noticed there was a whole cast of characters of people Rusty has discarded, but now they're all with Jonas. But then, um, what, are, are you talking about that or about the phone call that comes in after that? Yeah, about all the people rushing around behind Jonas and all the little quirks. So Rusty is calling Jonas Jr. to brag about this meeting that he's got coming up soon with a certain defense contractor. And of course, Jonas knows exactly who it is. Oh, General Man Hours, right? Yeah, his his self-imposed media blackout has been yeah, lifted, right? <laughs> and, and he, uh, he he's like, oh, tell him his helicopters will be ready a week ahead of schedule, which I'm sure you know may not have been an attempt to make Rusty feel worse about himself, but certainly had that effect. Oh yeah. And I mean, you know, if he can. <laughs> I feel like his self-loathing is of such a sophisticated degree um, that that I don't know he can really beat himself up anymore. Right. Um, so like you know really like Doc is, is that guy you know uh, 
later on, you know, you somebody brings up about Doc, like Hank says of him, uh, you know, he doesn't talk to people, he talks at them. So yeah. he definitely wanted, you know, Jonas to know he's doing well uh, and, and things are going great. And he doesn't even want to hear about what Jonas has going on nope. because he knows it's going to be better than what he has. That's not the point of the conversation. Right. Yeah. So it's like immediately. Fa- I've, again, I've had this conversation with Deep Diver. <laughs> <laughs> one, other, um, one little thing I'd like to point out. Did you notice what Jonas's phone looked like? No, like that actually does a great job of dating when this episode was made because Jonas's phone looked like a giant spoon, whereas every uh-huh. phone after 2008 looked like an iPhone. Uh, yes, yes, I see that now. Wow. That's a, actually a really good call. Um, and it's Pardon an interesting pun. thing. Zing. Ah, uh, no, uh, that's actually a, a, an interesting thing to kind of pay attention to when you watch, um, you know, especially how uh, stretched out of a period of time each season comes out. So a show that is thematically like heavy and rich in technology has to update. But like by the time you get to like season seven and eight, you kind of figure out that like we've been in a niche world. And the rest, like, there is a whole, like, segment of society that isn't touched by super science unless it's an accident. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, you know, how they kind of balance all that technology out. And again, like, you know, also the uh, reference to the iPod commercial is is also a pretty dateable reference. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) Well, and they've recycled that a couple of times. Like, they've used it for some some of their newer updates in the past decade. I mean, bear in mind, this came out. 12 years ago like a lot's happened since then so that brings us to uh (laughs) to obama has come and gone (laughs) yeah that leads us yeah yeah that leads us to the call that jonas gets while he's on the phone with rusty (laughs) can you can you explain this a little bit yeah yeah um you know, uh, suddenly it's a middle-aged Indian man who looks mildly familiar and he's wearing a tie and he's in an office environment. And um, Jonas calls him Rajni, but he's <laughs> Haji from uh, Johnny Quest. Yeah, Johnny Quest's longtime companda. And uh, as they're talking, um, the, there, there's a holdup at whatever materials or products he's, he's supposed to be on track to provide but there's been something slowing down the, the process. And that is clearly Johnny who comes in <laughs> screaming, Oh, get him off me. Get him off me. Ah! And he's what? himself like a madman, just staggering around in his underwear in this office. And his black turtleneck. Don't forget yes. his black turtleneck. Yeah. And it's worse With- for the wear. <laughs> but- Did you notice well, and where the- it was like- worn out? That's right. <laughs> I was about to bring it up like he's got the nipples cut out. <laughs> uh, you know, that was not a very popular Halloween costume. No, nobody. No. Here. Hey, nobody has to call the law here. Just fill up the bag with candy, ma'am. Come on. That dude. See, you know, here's the thing. Action Johnny looks like what happened when the 70s finally crashed. <laughs> like he looks like what happened. Like that's a guy who could tell you a lot about quaaludes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Especially uh, if you give him one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or a handful. Remember, when it comes to reading, pain is the watchword he's looking for on bottles. <laughs> so uh, that brings us to, uh, obviously, uh, Jonas trying to sort this out. And he's having a conversation with Rajni. And Rajni's like, oh, did he ask you for money yet? <laughs> uh, oh, wait, can he hear us? And they're suddenly <laughs> afraid that they've been talking smack about Jonas and that he can hear them. But when we flash back to Jonas's office, Jonas is no Rusty. longer Rusty. Rusty's office. Jonas, uh, Rusty's no longer on the phone. All right. Yeah, no, he's he's uh, bolting out the door. Um, his appointment with uh, Van Hours has, has come just a little bit earlier than he had anticipated. He was ahead by um, Van Minutes. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> and uh, Man Hours is a great character. First off, because his name is a pun. Uh, he's General H.I. Man Hours. And uh, second, he's really kind of a display of, uh, like, you know, the, the creator's, um, you know, love of film. Like, these guys are cinephiles. Like, he's based on, you know, George C. Scott's uh, General Buck Turgeson from <laughs> Dr. Um, You know, fluoride, man. Like, <laughs> the, the you know, he's, by the end of the movie, he's, like, you know, under the table and, you know, looking all crazy. Um but yeah, no, uh, it's just one of those uh, great picks in terms of like visual archetypes. Like, all right, let's pick Pat. The guy who played Pat is clearly like a good model for, uh, you know, somebody we need to look very military-esque. Yep. And yet not once did he mention, great Scott! <laughs> oh, right. Well, and also appropriately, uh, you know, not to, to jump too far ahead, you know, but uh, they are showing him a rocket center. So, you know, even thematically, there's there's a little tie into Dr. Strangelove. Well, he's got slim pickings of stuff at the Venture Compound, that's for sure. Because Zing. as he... Dude, I'm, I'm feeling it today. All right. So uh, as General Man Hours is being welcomed in, um, we've got Triana at the front. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. We're about to skip your favorite part. Yep. Oh, yes. Beast. I, I, my my my, <laughs> my life hinges on this phrase now. <laughs> Turn on the juice. Yeah, and then the banner drops, and a dusty banner that reads "The future is wow" <laughs> just falls down, and just and the O in wow is like the the kind of rudimentary design for an atom. Yeah, you know, like the the nineteen fifties, like you know, atomic age. Uh, you know, 1950s and 60s stuff. Um, and fun fact, uh, Adult Swim actually made a billboard with that banner on it. Uh -huh. And when they took it down, uh, they asked Doc and Jack Jackson if they uh, wanted the banner. And they absolutely said yes. So somewhere there is a mattress-sized, like you know, thing folded up that is like a billboard sized version of that banner just sitting in storage. That needs and he's like, yeah, it's like the size of a mattress in his apartment at one point. Can I be honest? You need to have that on the ceiling above your bed. Just so that when you bring a friend back, you just be like, look, we both know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm taking you to the future, baby. <laughs> yep. Anything I'll, I'll take you at least two to three minutes into the future <laughs> <laughs> pleasure town 30 seconds down the road <laughs> don't blink 
<laughs> it's it's not exactly a one stoplight town. There's like a cross. There's a four way stop with a speed bump. Like no, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we've got Triana at the front desk, and as Man Hours comes in, um, she's pretending to be very busy taking calls, directing them. You've actually got the boys making calls from outside the lobby area, like where they can't be seen by general man hours. And uh, Dr. Venture rocks out, walks out with Orpheus on his arm. And Orpheus is looking swag-alicious. And who is he pretending to be? A European... <clears throat> let's see, I had this European Space Agency representative. Oh, yes. Putting on his thickest fake Italian accent. Yup. Grazie. Yeah. <laughs> At which well, point? And, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Like, okay, so just a rhetorical question: Is he dressed like a gigolo? Because that's how, like, Doc thinks Italians dress, or is he dressed like a gigolo? Because that's actually how Italians dress. I'm I... sure that right now there's an Italian in a white suit somewhere. You know, the other thing I'd like to point out here is I, my idea of a gigolo is not somebody in a nice suit. But well, no, is, it's Roy Schneider. I get that. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I would, I mean, what would you expect an EU space agency representative to be wearing? Like a pocket protector and like a kilt? Like, well, I mean, at least a tie. You're coming to talk about rockets, sir. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this isn't a key. Well, I mean, I was going to say this isn't a key party, but back in the day, it very well could have been. Is there like a no shirt, no shoes, no problem sign hanging at the Large Hadron Collider? <laughs> <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. Check your isotopes. <laughs> so we've got Rusty welcoming man hours in, pretending to be so busy. He's enlisted everyone who lives at the Venture Compound in his attempt to make it look like he's doing okay. And he invites Dr. Uh, General Man Hours to make his way back into the lab. But of course, he's like, why walk when you can ride? And he hops on one of those little airport motorized walkways like it's the future. And that's when we see Orpheus again, <laughs> who has run around changed clothes and is now appearing as a janitor uh, <clears throat> or yeah or at least a uh a technician yeah, of uh, some sort yeah, some sort of technician at the compound which by the way man got a good eyeful of orpheus running by stripping out on his way to his next costume change because of the big glass windows <laughs> that the building is made of yeah Oh, and we also get Dean calling in, and then he, he's like, oh, you, know, you don't have to pretend he can't hear you. And yep. then he shows up on the walkway with his, like, experimental hover boots. And, like, Dean's attempt to sell this is so genuine. Like, Dean is genuine to a fault. Like, there is no facade with him, even when he's putting one on. Like, it just <laughs> came across so clean. And he's hey like, there, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, just trying out these top-secret new hover boots. It's like, oh, son, you know you should be playing with those. But, Dad, they're so great for, like, 
what was it he said? He's like, they're so full for uh, defense and like military engagement practices and around the house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and like, uh, I don't know. It's almost like uh, you said he's not acting. This is the version of the relationship of Dr. Venture he wants to have. Like, this is the moment where he's actually living his best life for like four seconds. Hey, man, that that and the Venture home news. Thing. <laughs> right? So good old, <clears throat> good old Deanie V. Yep. We get then to take a look inside the green room, if you will, of uh, everybody getting ready. And it's like Hank wearing like a giant chest cannon. Yep. Dean's getting changed nervously in his underwear when Triana steps out in her costume from the tub, drawing the curtain back, wearing a skimpy little like super piece. I mean, it, it, whoever their costume designer is on hand, like I can only assume it's Brock because he's the only one who's good at things. Yeah. Well, and, and in a meta context, like, all right, so you see the, the costume and it has this like square around her belly button. Yeah. And it's not like <clears throat> thing. It's seriously like two by three, maybe in, in, in scale. And, and like, it's almost like whoever really like did the modeling for this was really like, yeah, we got to have cut like cutouts in the costumes. We're going to have nipple cutouts on Johnny. <laughs> We're gonna have cut out on Triana. Like, I, I never knew like a little rectangle, you know, in a garment could just be so hot. <laughs> you know, and I'm well, talking I mean, about Triana. Johnny looks nice too. But. <laughs> right. Well, we've got them doing that. And of course, Triana's line as she steps out, she's reading the line that she's supposed to get. And it's like, you know, uh, you know, we're from the future. The future needs you. And then Dr. Venture grabs her and kisses her passionately. And you know, Dr. Venture wrote the script himself. And all right, this is this is where where me and uh, and, and Brock Savage actually have a, a bit of an interpretive disagreement of the situation. <clears throat> so my interpretation of the situation is Dean wrote the script because she immediately comments like, you know, who writes this crap? And you immediately see it on his face. And I only say the thing that supports this is he's the kind of dude who tries to perform like Lady Chatterley. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I totally think like he wrote this weird like scene where like, you know, this girl he has a crush on makes out with his dad because in some version, like he's projecting it as he's writing. But like when she criticizes the writing because it's awful, like I think that's what really hits him in the heart. Like the weird you know, psychosexual implications. Nah, he completely yep. missed that. That's that's buried deep, deep, deep down in the recesses of like his Freudian soil that we like. Yeah, he doesn't even know we're there. <laughs> so you believe that through some complex psychological wish to be his father in that moment, he wrote a scene where the only hot girl in the entire place makes out with his dad. See, no, he, no. He he wanted the per- he wanted to be the protagonist in the scene so badly because he knew Triana was playing it, forgetting the entire fact that his dad is actually going to be the one occupying the role. <laughs> yeah, I've seen him do that in other episodes too. He inserts himself into stories, whether they're his or someone else's, 
he has a pretty rich fantasy life. So I could. I mean, wouldn't you if you live next door to Triana? Yeah. Zing. You know what? I have a pretty rich fantasy life, and I saw her on TV with a little rectangle around her belly. (laughs) Um, So that brings us to what I think is the strongest supporting evidence for uh, Dr. Venture coming up with the script, and that is mainly uh, he is always looking out for him, and if he can get in a cheap shot, he will. Uh, He's that that creepy dude? Yes, he is. Like, if he were, like, uh, (laughs) he's the kind of guy who would have had, like, a casting couch. Yeah. Oh, dude, if he had been a director, even relatively recently, like, you know, if he'd had any power, he would have been Harvey Weinstein, except for what we learn at the end of this episode. Uh, Like, which actually, and I'll get to this point a little bit later, uh, perhaps Rusty Venture's uh, failure is a self-preservation mechanism. Hmm. So we'll, we'll get to that here a little bit later. So we continue on, and there, uh, Doc is watching Walking Man Hours Through. They get to the jet, which Helper has helpfully painted black, this only on the one visible side from the walkway. And he's like, oh, Man Hours wants to know what that is. And I was like, oh, it's just a secret stealth jet we're working on. Oh, let's go take a look at that. Uh, it's not ready yet, uh, you know, wh- so it's black, you know, why does it have a, lo- uh, you know, it's so invisible, you can't find it. Why does it have a logo? So you can find it. <laughs> it, it reminded me of the, uh, yeah, it reminded me of that line, like, see, it, it was very secret mind powers line. <laughs> even secret to me. mind powers, even for me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so. Then they are headed to the main observation area, riding on this walkway, and the door just doesn't open when it's supposed to, which means Rusty ends up kind of falling over and getting tumbled like he's in a washing machine, just like up against this door. Did you notice how he like curled into a cannonball because he knew how this worked? (laughs) He's done this before. Yeah, and then that ficus comes through and it works for the ficus. Well, the ficus was, I think, I want to say I saw the ficus earlier on the walkway at some point, maybe, and I didn't know why it was there. Maybe it was for that specific maybe. reason to let him in. Oh, it was around the home, at work, or in the battlefield. They have, uh-huh. they have a million uses, Pop. Around the home, at work, or on the battlefield. Sorry, I, I couldn't That's I couldn't a crystal ficus. That's beautiful. Um, so... <laughs> They are in there, and it's obvious that this observation room has not been used for a long time. They're like, man hours is wiping the surface. Uh, anybody who's been in the military will understand a white glove check. And this does not pass. Doc tries to make up some excuse about Jewish high holy days, but that's when the situation goes from bad to weird. And there's an explosion on the front lawn. Yep. <clears throat> And this is actually uh, one of my favorite things that kind of comes back later on. Like, this is one of those great moments in, in like, Venture Brothers where they're writing a check that they didn't know that they're going to cash later on. So Brock uh, is outside dealing with, uh, you know, a, a new arch villain that just kind of shows up. And, all right, so uh, I haven't really done any research, but based on your estimation... What would you say his arching level is? Like he comes rolling up in a themed car. I'm saying he's like a three or a four. Yeah, 
like zero henchmen, no weaponry. Oh, dude! I mean, it, it totally looked like the. Uh, it looked like an old. You know what it looked like? It looked like when Gary got to borrow his mother's car, except his mom had a slightly nicer car, but it was older, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> this was like okay, I, I got this like sports car, but it's a little older. I got it on sale. I got a good deal, which meant that I could afford the paint job to match my costume. And the guy who shows up, you actually did a little bit of research into who this guy was. Can you tell us yeah. who this guy is? Yeah, this is a Sri Lankan devil bird. Um, and really, like, the, the he's really only important um, in terms of, like, posthumous activity. Uh, <laughs> he comes back later on, come to find out, like, Brock has like a storage room, you know, where they put all the, you know, lost and lost materials, like things that they know people are never coming back for, i.e., you know, dead supervillains. Um, so the, the costume comes back into play uh, later on in, in a pretty serious way, um, you know, leading down, you know, down the line. Uh, we we're trying to have a policy of not trying to overspoil too many events for people in just in case they they aren't crazy familiar with it right we do assume that most of our listeners are going to be you know avid venturinos or venturus or venturions whatever, whatever we call them um so you know we're, we're trying to to maintain like you know some sort of like spoiler free ethic in terms of all the stuff happening down the line because we are going to cover it but there is a problem of general intrinsicness, right? Like the holistic web of everything that ties in and, you know, kind of talking about their style, like, you know, uh, we touched on it in their first episode. Like the reason I really enjoy the show, they're pantsers. You know, they take a little detail, like the Sri Lankan devil bird costume. Or the guy who marries Dr. Mrs. The Monarch and the Monarch. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like they take those little things. Uh, Augustus St. Cloud is a, is a perfect example of that also. You know, how many times did we see him in the background before they actually just like, all right, let's bring him to the foreground, you know? And I'm totally, I'm 98% certain they just went back, watched a few of the old episodes and said, oh, they reused that like extra model over and over again. Let's just go ahead and make that guy a character. Yeah, and it's not even like some of these episodes, it's not even the foreground, it's the five ground. They bring him in and all of a sudden, it's like there's all this stuff going on. You're like, whoa. But of course it makes sense. Like, you know, Augustus St. Cloud is the perfect foil for Billy Quizboy. Like, it just, it works on so many levels and it just speaks to the genius of the show that something like this can pay off. And I know there's no way we're going to be able to be 100% spoiler free. Uh, you know, we'll just try and keep it where to where it's relevant and just kind of hopefully get you excited about continuing to watch the show because that's where we're at every time we sit down to watch. Hey, hey guys, while you were talking about this, um, I went ahead and just Googled uh, an image search of the Sri Lankan devil bird. And if you've never seen one, <laughs> oh my God, uh, his costume is frightfully accurate. <laughs> I, I highly recommend it if, if anybody has never seen a Sri Lankan devil bird. That's pretty cool. Those are some serious eyebrows. Yeah, aren't they? <laughs> like, I'm surprised the monarch wasn't jealous and decided to kill this guy. That's right. Man, those are some eyebrows. 
So the Sri Lankan devil bird shows up. He's wearing this like, I mean, he looks like your grandma's shag carpet room. Like (laughs) the room with the bar, you know, the room they used to have key parties in before your mom was born. Like he is a rumpus room. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's got this like bright orange. You know, he looks like he looks like beast man. He looks kind of like a he-man throwaway. He's kind of like a cross between beast man. You remember beast man? Uh, that's my dad. Yeah. Where do you think my name comes from. <laughs> I, I don't eat this Japer sir. E- equally as hairy. Um, so, and then he's got this like bright orange beard and this like brown and like burnt umber costume, this yellow beak with these swooped back bright orange like flares with a like dark brown cowl. And of course, like the He Man dark brown underpants with the gold belt clasp. He's obviously not top tier and yet he's now, decided to come for dr venture now one of the things that i do love about the the reappearance of the costume um and it's funny you guys should bring up how distinctive the costume is because that's why it's important um also uh later on we'll take a you know a minute to to note how uh shore leave accessorizes it with a monarch belt and a few other things <laughs> and go from sri lankan devil bird to the red-throated loon but <laughs> I, I digress uh, shore leave is another one of my favorites we'll, we'll get to him coming up here real soon so um he, this guy shows up and who's out in the front lawn but brock Sampson, dressed as a indian from the subcontinent Burly. The very brand loyal Indian, yeah. apparently. Now, this is actually one of the old, one of the very few problems I have with this episode is how quickly they go from in that observation deck to immediately at the front doors. Like that's the only skip in the episode. It felt like they, they should have copied. They should have covered a little more territory. Well, and they make it very clear that territory has not been covered because all of a sudden, Man Hours is missing a shoe. Oops. <laughs> yeah. And they, they linger on it too, like a Hitchcock shot. Like it's we're supposed to notice. Well, and the one like the wrap-up scene with man hours is just so cringe-worthy awkward. Like you feel bad for venture. You just man, cut it all, like just pinch it off, have some dignity, like let this man walk out, but he's like, no, desperately trying to pitch him stuff. You know, the my favorite was the turnaround shoe. Right. Like, oh, you know, um, and like, you know, of course, uh, oh, the one the thing fruitopia. that I did notice. Oh, the Fruitopia. Like, and that shows you exactly how long those machines have been sitting there. <laughs> right, the uh, vending machines. Yeah, they've been sitting there since Fruitopia was a thing. Well, and I just, I love the idea of like Brock occasionally like having to go to a closet and get a hand truck. You know, get a couple of cases of Fruitopia, <laughs> fill up the vending machine. <laughs> like, um, but no, like uh, one of the things I noticed that Manauer very poignantly does um, that comes up later is, you know, he brings up that like everything here worked when your dad was here. Yeah. You know, he's very you know apt to point out that like, you know, uh, you're not as good as your dad. Yeah. And that's like, you know, kind of like the. And your dad the, was amazing. It all still works. Yeah, like it's uh, not only is it you're not as good as your dad. Your dad was great. Like I'm not only going to cut you down, but I'm going to praise the guy I'm comparing you to. 
what was that line? What? We're getting attacked by every Tom, Dick, and Skeletor. Yeah. <laughs> it just occurred to me, maybe this guy was based on Beastman. That's the, that's the Skeletor reference. You know, Brock in the turban. It's a lot of brand loyalty. And, of course, Manhour's missing his shoe. Manhour's pulls off. Rusty's trying to, it's like, but wait, we've got spy shoes so the Russians don't know you're coming. I call them sneakies. And, again, that just dates, like, you know, it, it, Doc is still living in the Cold War. Like, you know. It, well, on, and I want to say, it's been a hot minute, and I definitely did not do the legwork on the research for this. But I actually want to say that that's something from uh, Get Smart. He had the shoe phone. No, no, I know the the shoe phone was a thing. I want to say that like uh, there was a spy show. Maybe it was the Man from Uncle, um, where they had the reversible soles, um, so then they couldn't tell if you were coming or going. Like I, I want to say that that's actually a a very sly reference myself. And okay, so to explain certain things, like um, I'm at that point in life where my childhood is starting to you know, get farther back in memory. Um, and so everything's lumping together like some weird colorful fever dream. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I have to Google cartoons and movies and stuff that I've seen just to make sure that they actually existed. So this is kind of falls underneath that category. Um, right along with like uh, biker mice from Mars and and street sharks and things like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> like muscle muscle men or little homies oh dude, homies yeah so the uh, as man hour leaves all of our players come into frame and it's obvious things did not go well and dean asked the question that has motivated the entire episode so far are we going to have to sell the compound i just don't know I just don't know. That's when an angel arrives. Now, RoboBob, uh, Beast and I were talking, and he mentioned that you had some very strong feelings about the overall arc of this episode and that they were uh, more in line with It's a Wonderful Life than with a regular Venture Brothers episode. Yeah, there's a lot of things in common, and I, I you know... I, when we get to the uh, a little later on, we'll get into some, some visual things that are very similar to uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, but but here, I mean, here's Doc and he's just this this guy that's not very happy in his life and he's not doing very well. And suddenly, like you said, this angel shows up and he's showing him what he can have. This guy, this angel flies in dressed all in black. With a mask of a skull on his face, like kind of like a little domino mask hiding half of his face. And he introduces himself as Dr. Henry Killinger and explains that he is a freelance analyst and, and motivational coach. Doc's like, I don't know that I can afford you. He said, I work pro bono. He's like, great, when can you start? And he picks up some trash from the ground. He's like, I already have. Little does Rusty know how true that statement is. Because then he takes them into the compound. What you got, Beast? Well, and one of the things I really love about, uh, and, and, you know, just this is the second appearance of, of Dr. Henry Killinger. 
um, is first off, pretty sure his uh, alter ego is actually Henry Kissinger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a fun thing um, there, and uh, he's very much like, uh, you know, a supervillain Mary Poppins. He is. Yeah. And really, like, you know, uh, watching the episode, I'm going to be honest with you, like, the seduction method works. Like, uh, if I was in the same shoes, I I, I can't say I would have made the, the same, um, you know... Choice that Rusty makes. Yeah, well, mostly just because I'd get to see my brother more if I were arching him actively. <laughs> um, I, I miss your brother, too. Right. It's good um, for the family. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the family that stays together, that, right? Isn't that really the right. point? Is that why everybody is always so down on getting together for the holidays? Because that's the only time they get to arch each other? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who wants to hear Uncle Gary talk about politics again? Oh, Lord. Yeah, like, isn't that just a subtle form of arching? Like, it's so yeah. passive-aggressive. Like, I know what your political tendencies are, but I'm going to talk about lizard aliens controlling the government for a little while. <laughs> just, just to watch you squirm while you're scarfing down that turkey and dressing. Yeah, I, Look, I, I I've got a not too full because I'm about to pump you full of bullshit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I've got a tight 45 on flat earth theory. Here we go. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's your elevator pitch? Well, it's really more of a minecart ride. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a minecart ride to the truth. (laughs) It's it's buried deep. Yeah, it's getting deep. All right. So Uh, we've got uh, we've got Rusty essentially being escorted into his own pavilion. And when he gets back up to the observation deck where they just were, all of a sudden it is full of people. It is full of guys who are all in matching uniforms. The letter V is so apparent and you know i think beast you know you pointed out at one point that if you've got the first letter of your name on your costume it usually means you're a bad guy yeah like uh uh-huh. so I'm, I'm i'm a very big like huge marvel zombie like you know to to use the the industry vernacular um and there was a very recent run on X-Men. I'm not going to get into the minutia, but like one of the covers was done by a guy named Scotty Young and it's Magneto and Xavier talking, or uh, was it Magneto and uh, Apocalypse talking to each other? And it's Apocalypse <laughs> looking at him. He's like, listen, trust me. The key to being a good villain is letting them know what your first name starts with. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, or like letting them know what your name starts with. And it, it would literally, it's just, it put a finger on something Everybody knows. It's like that moment sometime in like the 40s when somebody looked next to somebody at a theater and was like, you realize like the cowboys in the white hats are always the good guys and the ones wearing the black hats are bad guys? Boom, mind blown. (laughs) Or wait a minute, why do all these guys who die every episode have a red shirt on? Right. (laughs) Huh. So Mate, not uh, not in the next generation. Though. Now th- there are a few exceptions to this case. Captain America yeah. being the most obvious. How so? He has a big letter A on his head. Well, and again, like you're making me go deeper in the comics. 
he totally became like a fascist dictator of, of America. Like yeah, Hale Hydra. You know why they you know why Marvel did that. I absolutely did, and I and, loved it. And we're gonna, you know, as a general rule, uh, we will try and stay away from certain uh contemporary political things. We want to make sure that uh, this is a space where anyone can come in and join us, regardless of their political affiliation. With that being said, that was a heck of a run. <laughs> so, uh, as we continue, there's a fire. Smoke starts rising up. Oh, oh, God bless. I'm sorry. I'm about to skip one of the best little one-liners. He's like, who are all these people? And they don't they don't look Mexican. They don't look Mexican. I can't afford them. At which yeah. point Killinger's like, no, no, they on work for low. This they, they work for you for free as part of their, you know, like time off. They're, they're essentially they're getting out of prison in order to work for you. See, again, I don't think it's prison. Like going back to the the weird super science infrastructure, super science migrant workers, right? So these guys, to me, are furloughed like dudes in a henchman union, and maybe their like arch died, like their their main arch, like their, you know, uh, like you know, the number one died, or the guy like you know that was arching their number one died, and there's no work. So they're like, yeah. some, I, some I'm of just those guys and some of those guys in that room. That could have been their boss that Brock scraped off the fence with a rake at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, those could have been, like, you know, Manasaurus henchmen that, Look, like, survived the assault. I, I, I'm willing to bet that I've had more experience with the uh, legal system than both of y'all, uh, yeah. at, at, both personally and in, a, uh, in other settings. Um, Suffice it to say... Professor Brock Savage can never go to SeaWorld again. <laughs> we were in love! So, it was, she I wasn't was a killer whale. <laughs> it was the sham wow. <laughs> the future is sham wow. At any rate, <laughs> at any rate, like a work furlough, like a quick, a quick Google search has yeah. not revealed any work furlough that is not set up as an alternative to incarceration. Oh, jeez. Sorry, guys. Like, it's all penal codes. <laughs> <laughs> that explains their helmets. <laughs> okay. I like i know a lot about the legal system quick google search <laughs> well no because i was sitting here i was trying to look for a work fellow program that wasn't like criminal related like if if there was one it would have shown the most up popular ones because <laughs> they they have no choice but to yeah. show up it, it, it's, he's, he's, it's all he's trying hard to prove you right yeah it's all like you know like sentence modification like i it's not like hey Colleges well, out these this guys semester. Are of course, they're criminals. So you think that these guys were part of, like, you know, they couldn't be union or guild because they, because Rusty Venture has had problems with the different unions and trade guilds. Yeah, oh, that's a fair point. That is until yeah, Killinger so... solves it later. <laughs> yeah, so. That actually completely blows my theory. You know what? Like that's that's maybe my whole problem is like I I have like a a general like kind of rose colored lens like 
you know, no, no, these are not inmates who have probably murdered somebody. Like these are just guys who want to work. Now um, I, I gotta say, yeah, as a general a rule, your brother, Adventure Brothers is like, you know, we talked about it, like how you know, there's when they have those real moments, when you realize people are killers. You know, Venture is a killer. <laughs> yeah, since before he hit puberty. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, and since before he left the womb. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. We see this smoke rising from across the campus. And Brock's like, oh, no. You know, the kid's like, oh, no, we're under attack. Brock's like, there must be a fire. I'll go put it out. At which point, Killinger lets them know that it's not a fire. It's progress. It's industry. It's new life in the manufacturing wing. He says, there'll be no more attacks on the lawn. I've already taken care of it. At which point... He starts being really adorable with the kids. Well, and you know what? That should be the first clue right there. Um, kind of about the arrangement that, uh, you know, Killinger is going to offer him is like, oh, yeah, arching. Not a problem now. How else would like, you know, the ceasing of arch practices have happened without like, you know, guild connection? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's when he starts, you know, they, they, it's like, oh, you're the magic man. He's like, no, you're the magic man. And he pulls a nickel out from behind Hank's ear and gives it to him. They're like, well, he's like, now invest that in a high yield savings account. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that right there sums up Killinger so cleanly. Like he's got Killinger, a good heart. Reference. He does. He does. <laughs> and there's magic in his heart. And he but it is also incredibly practical. Like he, he helps bad people be better. Yes. And sometimes <laughs> better at being bad. That's right. So that's when uh, we get um, Killinger in a smoke filled room with representatives from the trade unions that won't work with Rusty Venture, like the Super Science Trade Guilds. Uh, I forget all the different stuff. But he meets in this smoke-filled room with these really shady-looking tycoons. I mean, it, it's just got, like, greasy mobster written all over it. Very Teamsters. Yeah. And, of course... No offense to Teamsters. He solves that by killing them all, right? Which, uh, I think this is the first time we actually see him deliver on Magic Murder Bag. Yeah. His Magic well, I mean, Murder Bag. Magic Bag. You know, but I think this is the first time we actually like seen what the bag can do to people. Now, is the bag magic in and of itself, or is it just a conduit through which his magic expresses itself? Like, is it an artifact or is it a conduit? Hmm. See, I again, uh, you know, going back to more of like the comic book and fantasy influence, I want to believe it's an artifact. Like, you know, it's kind of a and knowing how influenced a lot of uh you know doc and jackson are by marvel and stuff like you know dr strange you know has his uh archetypal character you know middle-aged dr strange um you know in the show so <laughs> <laughs> you know part of me thinks that like you know uh this bag will go on to exist you know, long after Killinger moves on, if he's and not whoever, whoever inherits it, like it's like the eye of Agamotto. 
Yeah. So one thing that I would just like to like, I, I would freaking love to hang out with our fair creators when they are developing these concepts. Cause like, can you like, what is the thought process where they're like, look, I want a Dr. Strange character. Who's the least likely person we could combine him with. How about Dr. Henry Kissinger? <laughs> like, uh, oh, oh, okay. Like, uh, you know, what, what's next? Like, okay, I want to marry Poppins character. Who do we combine it with? Zbigniew Brzezinski? Like, you know, right. let's just, let's just take this one step further. Like, okay, let's get, uh, you know, I, I want to, you know, uh, I want a character in a bird costume. Okay. Who do we combine that with? I don't know. Vaclav Havel. Let's see what happens. Right. No, I mean, uh, it, it's, uh, it's definitely like a very interesting idea that um, these people simultaneously exist as archetypes but they're also like you know parodies of real people like one of my favorite things that like you know happens throughout the show is people you know throughout history get earmarked on one side of you know the conflict or the other you know it's the same reason i love assassin's creed like is the the alternate history of it so now we find out like you know retired kissinger you know became like you know essentially a villainous motivational speaker and if you know anything about like the career of henry kissinger you fully understand that this is a great joke about richard nixon yeah right yeah and i mean uh later on like and this was a complete fluke you know where is uh wide whale hold up in where's what what building does he live in trump tower <laughs> like yeah i mean it was completely just and uh so many of the, the other ones. Um, I mean, you know, they make references later on to Aleister Crowley and, and Mark Twain. And I love that you get those familiar characters, but then you also have them interacting with archetypes of things you already know. Uh, you know, the, was it uh, the General uh, Turgeson reference, the Doctor Strange. Uh, you know what you I know? just realized? The Venture Brothers is the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen for Contemporary Pop Culture. Yeah. Boom. Solid synopsis. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I haven't mean, quite put that together, but the way you just phrased that makes it make sense. Well, yeah. I mean, and they even, you know, fold in, like, essentially uh, some of the best urban myths in the world. The world mythology, man. Um, you know, the, the day the music died, uh, you know, the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, the you know, that, like, Don McLean's song mythologizing the the death of Buddy Holly and all that, like, bam, that's the Guild of Calamitous Intent. Yeah. They um, all show up like, oh, yeah, we, we faked our deaths. Yeah. Oh, well, and the God, fact man. that, like, you know, Bowie is the sovereign, like, you know, just the weird stories you hear about that guy, like the magical feud he had with Robert Plant. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're going to have to do an entire series on the music references because there is so much good stuff to work from. But we shouldn't get too far down the line. Because what Killinger does next is where he starts making enemies among the Venture loyalists. Because he decides that he's got to kick out Orpheus. Orpheus, Orpheus is getting evicted. Uh, he kicks out uh, Billy White and uh, Billy Quizboy and Pete White, uh, saying, "Oh yeah, I bought Conjectural Technologies. Uh, you know, you guys put your stocks up so you could buy the PlayStation or Xbox. 
I bought them all. You're out. I own it now. Later. Uh, Orbius gets kicked out. He, uh, uh, Samson gets kicked out. But, you know, and then, of course, as Orpheus is getting kicked out, like Orpheus senses great evil and he decides to scan him. And then we that's when we really start getting these great lines from Killinger. It's like, your powers are useless on me, you silly Billy. <laughs> <laughs> how how awful is that? that you know, this, this is obviously like this paragon of evil and power. And he just... He just calls him like a childish nickname, you know, like a child, you know, like city Billy. Yeah, it, it's so dismissive. Yeah, it's like you, you know, oh, dude, you, and go ahead. <laughs> well, what I love about the whole situation is it really shows you, like, the weird, like, uh, support system Rusty has because the yeah. second he's successful. Like, he doesn't need renters, so Orpheus isn't there anymore. He doesn't need right. Brock to protect him, you know, so no more Brock. Like, you know, him, like, on some level, him, like, being successful means, you know, not having these people. And it kind of goes back to the thing you were saying where, you know, uh, failure as a defense mechanism. You know, uh-huh. he, sure, yeah, he is all the time just annoyed with Orpheus, but that doesn't stop him from calling Orpheus... Um, you know, to save right. his life every time, right? And I mean, yeah, sure, they'll bicker about it, like, but they have these beautiful, weird bonding moments, uh, you know, about being dads. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no, and like the, you know, all three of us have clones ourselves, right? And like, mm-hmm. that's uh, one of the the more beautiful things that you know you can kind of recognize, like, uh, that unifying parent factor. Like, and, you know, there's that common thread of, like, I understand some of the really awful decisions, like, Jonas Sr. makes, you know, uh, Rusty Venture makes, all out of, like, you know, just dadhood. Like, I get it, you're not doing it right, but I, I see why you would do that. <laughs> right. Let's be honest, though. Like, they're one of those things, you know, once you get to travel the world a little bit, you realize just how similar everybody truly is. And there are very few things that will join you immediately to someone else's struggle, quite like being hungry or having kids. Like, yeah, yeah you know, it, it's actually one of the great things I appreciate. So uh, my neighbors are Muslim and they are observing Ramadan right now. And when I was in college, I actually observed Ramadan for several years just to understand what it was about. Cause somebody explained it to me once and it made a lot of sense. Like, you know, it's like observing Lent. Like, can I do this for 40 days? Like, this is a thing that I'm used to having in my life. What happens when I take it away? What happens when you take away food, right? Um, and so, Boy, it, die, well, that you don't take away food forever. Although I was having this conversation with them earlier today. Uh, I was like, yo, man, what if you were up in the Arctic Circle? Like the sun doesn't go down. Does that mean you can never eat? Like surely that can't be what your faith intends. Like he just, he didn't really have an answer per se. He was like, oh, my cousin lives in Norway. He struggles. <laughs> well, and you know that's the thing about like, uh, you have to you have to understand uh, Islam at the time when it was being developed very limited by its geography. Like they didn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, you know, there there is you know some controversial historical proof that like you know maybe Muslim cultures did travel very far north to do some trading, but like for the most part, they absolutely what- did, man. That like that they. In fact, yeah. a big part of what we know about the Vikings 
comes from some of the notes that were taken uh, by the, some of the emissaries they sent out. And in fact, if it weren't for the Muslim scholars, we wouldn't have the Greek classics. I mean, yeah. right, absolutely. And could you imagine living like in your desert, like living in a desert your whole life, right? And you're a Muslim scholar and you're traveling and then you see a land of nothing but ice. And, and the, the sun, sun never goes down. Yeah, like, bro, Ooh. like, I've got to talk to Allah about this. This is some weird stuff. <laughs> like, like, you know, he, I, I know, I know we say he's perfect, but I think he messed up. <laughs> yeah, avail your mysteries to me. I need to understand this, Allah. Please help me. And then that's how they got, like, you know, really good math and astronomy. <laughs> right? I need to know the stars so I can get out of here. So, yes, that's right. So, uh, but, you know, but parenting is also another one of those things. Like, yeah. it, your kids, no matter what culture you're in, your kids are always going to be horrible little shits. You know, I'll I will say. say this, and I love saying it publicly because I like getting the weird look that, like, non-parents, or I'm going to say it, like, you know, just really, like, you know, type A parents don't get. Uh, kids are the worst people on the planet. And by design, that's the whole point, is they're a blank slate. You know, you're teaching them manners, you're teaching them, you know, customs and this, that, or the other. But, you know, by definition, like, God, they're just tiny little Hitlers always telling you what to do. <laughs> so, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit later with another episode, uh, you know, with, you know, getting into Freud's concepts of the id, the ego and the superego. You know, everyone is id when they get started. It takes a while for ego to develop. And then the superego, you know, like it, the, the ambitious part of you takes even longer to develop. Um, and of course, you know, when you're looking at how kids develop, you know, it's all I, 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 until you recognize the I in someone else. You know, often it's like a mother or a father figure, you know, or like a sibling. You recognize that they're not just this external thing. They are also their own I. And that other I becomes you. And then you realize it's more than one person that 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 I, their I and your I can become a we, right? We can be I, I plural, or that you know they group of them can become a they, like you know first person, second person, third person. Like you see it start developing and ramping up just a little bit, and you know it takes a while for those concepts to really come into play. But I actually figured out why kids were mean. I don't know if I ever told you this. You see kids being such little boogers sorry for my french earlier uh you see kids being such little boogers sometimes even good kids doing really bad stuff and i finally figured out why they're doing it they're testing it out they see other people do it and they're like oh maybe this is for me that's actually a natural part of growing up and you want them to test out and be like nah this sucks well and here's the thing to realize like or maybe to think about like uh i know Rusty has like his clone farm and like the real to real hard drives with his kids' memories on them. <laughs> right. But like, do you think that there's like a, a, a like a retraining process? Like, I mean, they make jokes about it, like, you know, uh during the, the buddy system episode when they lose a kid and he has to clone them. And he's like, you know, yeah, he'll be fine in like, you know, six to eighteen months when they after they, you know, re potty train him. Yeah. So, like every time, you know, Doc clones out the boys do you think that they have he has to go through the the same like growth pains of of like you know 
toddler, then adolescence, and then all of that stuff, like, developmentally. <laughs> so you remember The Watchmen, right? The, the, the HBO series. Yes. And yeah. when Ozymandias has uh, a spoiler alert, if you haven't seen The Watchmen, what are you doing with your life? If you haven't watched The Watchmen, watch The Watchmen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, those the clones that he was getting were, you know, like they kind of he grew them and then they kind of developed over time. Like it took a while for everything to kind of set in. Everything was there. It just took a while for it to kick in. Right. And I imagine it would be somewhat similar with their with their memories, although they've never really explored it. You know, this could just be fanciful thinking on our part. But, you know, I, I can't imagine <laughs> Doc doing much. Like, just to put it quite simply, Doc's not the kind of guy to spend a lot of time retraining his kids. So everything's it, got to a- work. Yeah, it's already in the bed, so why improve on that? Yeah, you, you just know? stick him in the bed, it captures their memories, and it reloads the memories back in again. That's cool. Well, and I love the idea that, uh, like, Doc and uh, Adrian Veidt are about on the same level, like, you know, in terms of being a father. <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Here, boys, let's put on a play. <laughs> like, yeah, like, really? <laughs> oh. Back to the fight. Oh. just had the courage to have fun with it. Oh, my God. Man, I, Rusty Venture is getting more and more noble as we talk. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, uh, the alchemist shows up, and he's offering... <laughs> Um, Orpheus and Triana a place to stay. He's like, oh, your dad and I used to bunk all the time back in the day. Triana gives him a look because the alchemist is as flamey as it gets. He's as queer as a clockwork orange. And she's like, you guys used to, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. We did a lot of road shows back in the day. Like, you know, we did a lot of traveling. So that's when we get to the crux of this episode. We get to the Darth yep. Vader cave episode. Oh yeah, the yep. uh, the one of my favorite scenes from from Empire. Um, so, you know, uh, basically after getting you know Doc's life ship shape, it's time to start working on the internal machinations of of Doc Venture, um, and that's why we jokingly call this like the the psychoanalyzation, like you know the the psychosis of Rusty Avengers because. Uh, all the episodes deal with like fantasy sequences um, about his subconscious and his past and all this. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> Killinger opens the bag and then, you know, he his magic it, murder bag, his magic murder bag. And so you're like, well, that thing murders people. I know this now, like yeah. murder confirmed. And then he's inviting Rusty to step in it. And Rusty's a little like tenuous. And he's like, you know, uh, you know, what's in the bag? Only what you take with you. At which point, like, you know, Rusty's a little disbelieving. He's like, you know, great. Now I'm just standing in a bag. And then you have uh, Killinger, you know, just kind of look at him and give that beautiful little, like, head cock. That's like when a dog hears its owner's voice on the answering machine. He's like, are you? (laughs) And then he looks around and, like, you know, Rusty's a kid at the kitchen table again. You know, Saturday morning, 
eating some cereal. Alpha dog. Alpha dog. (laughs) (laughs) Not Um, alphabets. Alpha dog. Yeah. Um, And then that's when it really gets like, you know, uh, very, uh, you know. um, I believe in you. I guess Jungian, <laughs> Freudian. This is when really like the all the you know psychology one hundred and one metaphors get like thrown at you really hardcore. So um, Jonas comes in and little Rusty is like, "Oh, I heard a lot of noise like tonight." He's like, "Oh yeah, Daddy had friends over, <laughs> right?" And he's showing up. He's walking around in his boxer briefs. I'm surprised he didn't draw scratch marks all over his back, right? Um, so you finally get it. He walks over, starts getting something to drink. You know, that man needs to hydrate and he comes back around and his dong is hanging out and it is obscured by the black sensor bar. And it, he's just sitting there talking to rusty. He doesn't know that he's flying free in the breeze, but little rusty does. And it's right in his face. And he's trying his darndest not to look at it. At which point, Something truly magical happens. <laughs> it, it, it gets a face. It gets a face. That black bar suddenly becomes Dr. Killinger. His face appears on the end of that black bar, and it becomes quite serpentine and sinewy. And he's like, no, don't look away. Face your fears. This is the moment that your dad turned from role model to tormentor rival. And at that point, Rusty starts trying to face his fears, which of course means turning his face toward his dad's dangling dingus. Yeah, like eye to eye, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut away and we get to the second part of this vision. And that's when Rusty Venture is tied up in a chair in a pyramid. What I can only assume might be uh escape to the house of mummies part one right (laughs) right yeah so he's there he's tied up and he's calling for his dad to help him but killinger is there to tell him no don't call for your father he's the one who put you in this position he's the one who trapped you like this and there are mummies approaching and this is one of my favorite points in the entire episode because <laughs> Killinger is actually Anubis in this instance. And Anubis mm-hmm. was essentially the, the psychopomp. He was the, the, the judgment character in the underworld, the one that you would be led through the underworld with, and he would judge you whether or not your heart was as light as a feather. If your heart was lighter than the feather, which could be any size, I don't know, maybe it's a really heavy freaking feather. Yeah, no, they, that's one of my favorite jokes in uh, American Gods is they're like, you know, yeah, we used to measure hearts against the weight of a feather. He's like, yeah, wow, that sounds pretty crazy. He's like, no, no, it was a really heavy feather. Like, we don't, <laughs> like, trust him. <laughs> yeah. So that's when these monsters are approaching, and Kellinger is naming them. And they, they have their names essentially written on them. Their names are fear, self-loathing, stinking thinking, und dilly-dallying. And this is so, like, this is Joan, uh, Dr. Rusty Ventures, like, problem spelled and, out for you. Yep. And did you notice their faces? Yeah. 
they they all have Rusty's face. Yeah. Well, not just Rusty's face. Well, and uh, I, I love the whole thing. Um, because first off, going back to the you know, uh, you silly Billy. So <laughs> you definitely get like you know, there's a a, a flavor to Killinger where he takes these complex ideas and gives them this cutesy little colloquialism like (laughs) stinking thinking is like you know just a a a fun cutesy way of saying like self-doubt and you know self-loathing negativity dilly-dallying you know is just cutesy way of saying procrastination Mm -hmm. um but yeah like i i love that you know all the mummies had you know doc venture's face um because again like you know Doc is his own worst enemy. Doc's, you know, his own impediment. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, he can't finish anything to save his life. He's constantly looking for the short way out. The only thing that he's even been remotely good at is cloning. And he does that because he does it like out of essentially need, out of, you know, because guilt essentially he keeps killing the boys. So he's got to have extra copies of the boys around. Well, if, if you can't raise them up live from childhood. Right. You know, really, at this point, like, kind of knowing what we know uh, as far into, like, season seven, at this point, it's just family tradition. Like, right. I think he's just cloning out of, like, well, you know, I was a super scientist. My father was a super scientist. His father was a super scientist. His father was a milliner. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait. Don't you mean, look, I was a super scientist. I was a super scientist. (laughs) I was a super Uh scientist. There aren't there aren't a whole lot of uh, ma ventures around, are there? No, there really aren't. No, uh, that's one of the the things I've always wondered about. Like, maybe is 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 this like an elaborate Disney reference? Like, no moms allowed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Mars took them all. So we get to our third vignette which is the Venture Compound. And we see the Jonas Venture statue essentially come to life. And he's like, come on, Rusty, time to take your medicine. I forget exactly what he says. You know, time to get ready for bed, time to take your medicine. Yeah, I think it's time for for bed. And Killinger is like, no, stand up to this Goliath. And Rusty realizes that he's holding a slingshot. And Killinger is very small now and is pushing back against the elastic on the slingshot. Like he's going to be the missile that takes this Goliath down. Yeah, like he loads himself up. Yeah, he, he, he cocks himself, so to speak. So Rusty releases the missile. Which is harder than flies you think. The air, right? <laughs> R- Killinger flies through the air, striking the giant golden statue of Jonas Venture in the middle of the forehead, breaking it open, and... It collapses. Killinger, now full size again, grabs Rusty and leads him up onto the dais that his father's statue used to be on as a rainbow appears overhead. And gumdrops, goody goody gumdrops, rain from the heavens. Yes, taking but, his, uh, his seat as the uh, golden king god. Was, what was he said? Like, uh, golden sun king god boy head or something like that. It, it was right. a. <laughs> it was a great like you know just visceral explanation of of exactly what happened <laughs> you killed your dad take his place yeah exactly join yeah. me together we can rule the galaxy and also so, like it's very uh you know i'll say it's kind of chuck Palahniuk 
you know, uh, very fight club, like our fathers are models for gods type thing. Um, in this case, it's very true. Well, and this is like the, you know, the, the big pivot moment, right? So we've killed his issues with Jonas. So now we've got to pivot all of that energy because it's not gone. You know, all of that emotional angst, it really just hasn't been treated. Now they're just in the middle of redirecting. We just need to redirect it. Exactly. If, if we could only focus it on something or someone else. Right. And of course, that's when like the, uh, the leprechaun of Jonas Jr. pops up and uh gathering it, up all the gumdrops under the rainbow right and and do you know why it's a leprechaun hit me because he's a lucky I bastard it's not just <laughs> yeah that's how doc sees uh you know that's how doc sees jonas jr is just a lucky bastard um and this is straight that's out of the mouth good. of jackson public that's good that's yeah really no good. like uh it's one of those like again you know subtle details that you know, no matter how many times I've watched this show and then like, you know, the, the addendum material with it, it, it just, it's a gift. It keeps on giving. It truly is. Uh, like, so, by the way, I completely recommend like doing some like peyote or mescaline and watching the DVDs with the commentary on. You feel like you're there. Um, I am going to heartily not recommend peyote or mescaline to most people. Uh, that is not like for the love of God, make sure you have a sober minder because that's going to, it can be three days of insanity. You're going to need someone to make sure that you're wearing pants. Listen, it's not Uh, like we're recommending people inject Lysol. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey. So, um, that's when doc wakes up, he has gone through his journey and now he's naked and doc's aware of being naked. And he is flipping out. He's like, did you roofo me? <laughs> he wakes up with this <laughs> Killinger's wallet in his mouth. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm going to need that back. I didn't want you to bite your own tongue off. Which also so, uh, yeah. tells you exactly, you know, uh, again, you know, kind of dates Dr. Venture. Like, Dr. Venture has great dad speak. Like, did you <laughs> roofo me? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Killinger is like, no, no, you're naked because you've been born again. But that dude is smooth. He is, but oh, yeah. he's got some new clothes that might fit his new life even better. <laughs> I've got something that will. <laughs> right. That your, your old clothes and your old life no longer fit you, but I've got something that will. Oh, dude, he's such a great character. So that's when we flash over to Brock showing up to the alchemist place uh, where Triana and Orpheus are now residing since being kicked out of the venture compound. Um, Triana is dying the alchemist hair like fuchsia. Like, yeah, giving it like the, the, you know, uh, trademark purple color. Like, I mean, of course it doesn't grow in like that. I'd imagine that. Right. Uh, And of course, Brock shows up, bringing some beer. He's like, oh, this is a heck of a party. Orpheus is, of course, still really bummed out about uh, Killinger, you know, the great evil that he sensed. And, uh, you know, Orpheus is like, you're not completely just disgusted by this. He's like, well, I was a little upset about it at first. But then he told me, you know, when he told me I had to pay rent, but then he showed me how to deduct it off my taxes. And now I'm seeing even more money from the government on my returns. Like, 
He's like, yeah, I'm kind of taking it away, but I'm showing you how to get more out of it. If you just work the system a little bit. Yeah. Like, like use the system the way it's supposed to be. Well, and I will say this, like, you know, uh, the great thing about the morality of the venture universe uh, is, you know, the quote unquote bad guys are not bad guys. You know, we prefer antagonists. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's very Wreck-It Ralph of you. Yeah, like, no, uh, very well, Zangief. Just, and, and like the best part yeah, about the whole thing I'm is bad guy. Does that mean I'm bad guy? But like Killinger genuinely believes in the win-win. Like any good motivational coach, like he believes in the win-win situation for everybody, unless you're you know working for the the super sciences unions. Um, right. And yeah, that's very. Uh, I don't know. It's very Tony Robbins. He consistently offers, uh, you know, something that's going to benefit you just so long as you're willing to do it. And usually it's a pretty easy explanation. It's like, oh, I can do that. Well, and you know who would be the, uh, like, I guess, you know, kind of uh, the other side of the coin to Killinger um, as a character? Not even necessarily in the Ventureverse, but like Amanda Waller from you know the dc (laughs) suicide squad yeah yeah so like yeah she's really specialized in getting people to act against their own self-interest right and that's kind of what killinger does but his stick and carrot is just a lot better he uses it a lot more like positive reinforcement where she uses more manipulation it's more carrot than stick whereas waller's like yeah my stick is an explosive in your brain yeah you don't want the stick just do what i say yeah yeah (laughs) so We've got uh, them sitting there to talk about it. And now it, there's usually at least one word per episode. That's just a brilliant, brilliant choice. Like, so Brock is sitting there discussing, you know, like uh, Orpheus is like, oh, but what about the kids? And Brock's like, he's actually great with the kids. You know, you see Dean lying in the learning bed with Killinger, you know, looking at math and stuff like this. And it just actually seems so innocent, you know? Um, Some of the stuff he's teaching Hank is a little weird, though. Yeah. And then he's got Hank with Killinger out there. It's like, this man stole from your father. Teach him the meaning of loyalty and then hands him a gun. Or what? what, what is it he hands him? It's a yeah, it's like a dagger. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. No, no. It's like, you're, you're going to yeah. see the look in his eyes when this happens. Yeah. And that's when he's like, he gives with one hand and macerates your soul with the other. Like, <laughs> macerates, dude. They, oh, they're such good writers. Well, and I love thinking about your soul as a bunch of strawberries that's about to go on a <laughs> uh, strawberry shortcake. So that's when Orpheus manages to convince Brock and the alchemist that they have to go rescue Rusty Venture. So they head off to get back to the compound. But what happens next, Beast? Um, so when they get to the compound, uh, you know, it, it's there, there have been some changes. And really quick before I kind of dive into the, the plot points here, um, is this, are we considering this an official alternate version of the triad? Oh, I hadn't put that together. You know, how uh, we get alternate team ventures and alternate venture yeah. brothers is like, you know, uh, Alchemist, Orpheus, and Brock, like, you know, the, that's the a new way triad. Effect- <laughs> that's a way more effective triad. <laughs> I mean, Not Jackson's a little twice. specialized in who he kills, but he's, yeah. he's good at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like Brock, 
Brock is is an it will kill everyone. He's an equal opportunity murder machine. Like whereas right. Jefferson Twilight uh, is really just he is all about blackulas. Like well, that, you know, really, to be yeah, fair, I've never seen Brock. Vampire, I've, I've not to say he wouldn't, but I've never seen Brock kill a blackula. Uh, although we've the... seen him kill a vampire. Remember? Or no, wait, it's the mummy. He's like, no, no, he's peeing on him. He's like, you you got to <laughs> desecrate him completely. Oh yeah, you got to <laughs> desecrate the body completely, otherwise he'll just keep coming back. Yeah, that that that's a mummy. So he has fought hey, the hey. undead. Now, who was that in the episode where they he kept shooting the uh, shooting the black hill and he kept getting back up? Who was who was pulling the trigger? Oh no, no, it was uh, Orpheus, um, like blasting him, like to put him down because he's oh, talking to, to to Jackson. Yeah, <laughs> right. and that's when he's like, "You got to yeah, cut off the yeah. head." Like dibs yeah, on the fangs, yeah, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, all it right, is, uh, it, it, it is Jefferson Twilight, not Jackson. Jefferson Twilight. Oh, I'm so sorry. Because yeah, yeah. um, no, he, okay. he's legitimately one of my favorite characters. Um, but anyway, so they storm the compound like, uh, you know, uh, the new triad, um, you know, like new Avengers. Right. And so they've got the, the gun turrets up um, and those apparently either weren't there or haven't been on in a while. Um, later on, we will see that they, you know, are a source of endless amusement for Halloween. Um, but then you have, uh, you know, Orpheus <laughs> pop in front of the, the camera and, you know, do this, you know, uh, cloak of invisibility spell. And he looks like he's struggling with it, you know, for something that is yep. like a generic Harry Potter prop, like cloak of invisibility, bam. It's like, he's really struggling hard to like, he's working it. it. Yeah. He is and working it. So they, they get around and then they finally get in the building. Right. And, uh. Like they make it to the door, and Al is wearing the the giant chest gun that Hank had, <laughs> and he goes to you know Brock's like, all right, blast the door, and then like he goes to hit it, and it makes the exact same sound as like you know one of the toy the machine toy guns. guns from like the Dollar when Tree. When you were a kid, yeah. And like Al makes like just the most on point perfect joke, you know. Uh, what was it? Uh, <laughs> performance issues. This never happens to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> At which point, so, you know, Brock brocks the door. <laughs> Brock is a verb. Yeah, to brock something. Uh, uh, Professor Savage and I actually know somebody um, whose name is Kirk, and his name is also a verb. It's like to Kirk something means to break something in order to make it work better. Uh, to brock something means to break it beyond all usage. Uh, it, it is the future inevitable pastness of the word broke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it achieves a new a new state out of time and space at that it, point. It it's a it, it's brock. It's an eighth tense. <laughs> Do you think that there's like a uh like Samson? survivors support club like support group you know they're like henchmen they, they you know there is and they meet in like the the cocoons cafeteria on like meatloaf night oh dude or like there's a hospital somewhere named like it's the speedy wing <laughs> and like it's all just like they've got the best like brock samson recovery unit in the country <laughs> yeah yeah cedar sinai yeah got it. it's, like, it's oh, not yeah. your fault 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I'm thinking about Speedy getting choked out and just having a great time in my head. Um, anyway, uh, so once we get on the other side of the door, um, that's when all the Vinchmen stand up. And, oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, We've actually skipped a little bit because we have missed the key buildup of this episode. Oh, that's right. It's one of your favorite punchlines. <laughs> And that's when we see what all of this has been building up to, right? We see Dr. Venture change into his new uniform and he comes out and he's got these little, like he's dressed like a superhero, right? Except it's a little bit darker. And he's got this like belt. He's like, oh, how does it fit? You know, it's a little tight. It's a little roomy though. It's like, oh, don't worry. You'll grow into it. Right. And he's like, what are these for? And he's got these little uh, essentially like pouches on his like danger suspenders. And not like Rob like, oh, Liefeld pouches in the 90s. Like <laughs> not, not quite like that bad. They look almost like pill pops. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What were the uh, do you remember the M&M cases? Like oh, the, the M&M, M&M minis. Yeah. It's like those just kind of on a pair of like wider suspenders. It's like, oh, those are for your diet pills. And the other one is for whatever, right? And that's when he leads him into the observatory. And the observatory is there, and you've got all the Vinchmen there. And that's when Killinger reveals what's really going on. He's like, you know, you can join an exclusive organization, okay? I, you... All you have to do is sign here and all of this can be yours, right? If you join, you can arch. Essentially, it's like, oh, you know, you can arch Jonas, uh, you know, Jonas Fincher Jr. He's like, oh, he's not a bad guy. And that's when he realizes that he's being set up to arch his brother. That's like being. (laughs) It's the same look somebody has when they realize that they just got like stuck in a timeshare. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. When all this good stuff that was working out for you was suddenly revealed to be the the instrument of your demise, and it's sitting there, and there's this line he delivers. He's like, you know, make up your mind. Vinchmen are standing by for your order, right? <laughs> That's brilliant. I mean, it's it's. Uh... <sighs> It's one of the, 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 the better setups of the whole thing. Like, it, it's just a great... I almost feel like the whole episode was written around that one line. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, I've got a great pun, and I need somewhere to put this. And they're like, write an episode. <laughs> like, bang it out. Like, um, And no, I mean, yeah, this is like the, the pivotal moment where you realize, and you've had a few moments before, but this is probably the biggest moment where you realize Rusty might not be like, you know, the biggest human grease stain that you thought he was. Well, and, you know, let, let's pause for just a moment here to reflect on the tension that this is building up with. Rusty's not a good guy. He's not. No. Rusty is self-serving. He is careless. He procrastinates. He is more interested in seeming rather than being, you know, I live, I I believe we all live in the great state of North Carolina and the motto of the state in Latin is essay quam videri, 
to be rather than to seem. And, you know, without attributing any of my worldview to that quote, I do share a worldview with that quote. It is better to be good than to seem to be good. Whereas Rusty is the exact opposite. He just wants the flash. He doesn't want any of the work, right? Like he wants to be this famous scientist. He doesn't want to have to do anything to be there. He feels like maybe, maybe he feels like he's already paid his dues. He shouldn't have to give any more, right? Like in the movie Dread 2012, right? With Carl Urban. Did you ever see that? Oh, I mean, that was wonderful. Uh, That's one of my favorite films that's come out in the past decade. It's brilliant. You know, it was actually directed by Alex Garland, even though he wasn't credited. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Alex Garland wrote it. And I love me some Alex Garland. And it was year. Like, I just, I love that movie. I couldn't figure out. I watched the other, the directors of the movies. I was like, these are not the same. Like, this isn't it. And then Carl Urban, like last year or two years ago, was like, nah, man, that was Alex Garland. Like, don't, don't. I, I, I can talk about this now. <laughs> like, but there's this scene where it's like, you know, like it, it, it's the city is a machine. It grinds you up. Like people go in, meat comes out. And like, I wonder if that's not how Rusty feels about his life at this point. He's just been so ground up. And here he is being presented with this glittering opportunity. Like things are nice. Things are working. He doesn't have to live in fear of losing the compound because they don't have money anymore. Like Venture Industries is back up and running. Like everything is running smoothly. He's got all this power, all this opportunity, all this potential energy ready to be converted into kinetic. And he has a choice to make. And that choice is whether or not to essentially hinch or not hinch, but uh, arch, arch his own brother, the person that he hates most in the world, because it's someone who has achieved what he wanted without any of the advantages that he himself had. Like what a horrifying realization to realize that someone with nothing made it farther than someone who'd been given everything. Like, that's horrifying. And Rusty's own ineptitude is what has stopped him from doing it. And this is where we kind of get to the crux of this episode. And this is what is going on when the new triad or pre-triad, no, it's a new triad, bursts into that door and all the hitchmen rise up and start walking to them because they see Rusty signing a piece of paper. And they know he is signing over his life, that he's becoming a villain. And the Vinchmen are coming after them to silence them so that Rusty can continue his career as an arch nemesis. Which is a, an interesting notion, um, just because uh, it's the thing that everybody knows about Rusty that Rusty doesn't know about himself, that he just learned. Right. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's bursting in the door to stop him. And they've known that this was like, you know, a thing for for at least hours or if he is for days, you know, (laughs) Rusty, 15 minutes ago, like, holy shit. What? I'm a villain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when the episode plays out in the most unexpected way, because the Vengeman, instead of attacking the triad, 
walk right past them. And all these guys have the same face. Presumably just, back to prison. Yeah, it's just cheaper to animate. But of course, they're walking out like, bye, so long. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you see them rush up to Rusty Venture, who is now naked. Again. So is he re-reborn, unreborn? Has he uh, been birthed back unborn. into his old life? Um, uh, let's see. I mean, I've heard of born again. Is there an aborted again? <laughs> oh, I could have been a contender. Is that too far? Is that too much? Or is that joke lamer than FDR's legs? You know, it would have been worse if there was actually a coat hanger in the scene, but I think we're all right. Oh, this is going to a dark place. Let's let, let's lighten it up with a little mental trauma. So we've got we've got Rusty there, who is essentially collapsing in on himself under the weight of his own expectation. And we've got the guys coming in. And they're like, "What what happened? You didn't do it, did you?" And Rusty's like, "No, I I, I couldn't." This is Rusty Venture's finest moment. Rusty Venture has had everything he wanted handed to him, and he turned it down in one moment of genuine, moral, solid, like solitary fortitude, right? All that pressure building up, and he still said no. He did not want to arch his own brother. He didn't want to become the thing that he hated. By becoming, by going after the thing that he hated. And I appreciate that as a defining moment in what we've learned about Rusty Venture so far, because everything about him screams, if but for his lack of drive, he would be the monarch. Like the monarch is what a capable rusty venture looks like right <laughs> and he turned it down although the monarch screws up just about as much yeah as yeah but i'm saying does. which one's more capable right obviously the monarch <laughs> he's got the henchman and the floating cage. well yeah. and on top of and, that and, he, and, he's uh, got like Sheila. yeah he's got a successful relationship with a partner who is still around um yeah. you know they you know are a childless couple Right. But you definitely get the impression that they take their their careers in villainy very seriously. And, you know, she's ultimately like incredibly supportive, no matter what kind of a moron he is and is like that's the thing is like the butter glider episode is a perfect like, you know, uh, cross section of their relationship and just like, you know, the weird uh you know kind of dichotomy between you know venture and the monarch like rusty's doing dumb stuff all the time and sure like you know brock's there to help clean up the mess and stuff but you know rusty's not there anybody to warm his bed at the end of the day like the monarch has somebody there to tell him he's a great villain even when he's not being one <laughs> no well and you know let's let's really kind of look at at why like it, this, you know, I mentioned it earlier that Rusty's um, failures 
may be a direct result of his desire for self-preservation. Because even though he's just realized that he could be a bad guy, that that's really what his behavior kind of lends itself to. He would rather be a bad superhero than a great supervillain. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that his, his procrastination, his dilly dallying, his stinking thinking may in (laughs) fact be a type of subconscious defense mechanism to keep him from going down a road that he knows he'll walk all too well. Yeah. I didn't think about it like that, but yeah, that's that sounds very very now. Likely. Okay, what's his supervillain name? Ventura. No, well, I mean, we've already had a Ventura. I mean, I don't. Again, like, what is? Uh, you know, I, I feel like there are uh, like Venturioso. <laughs> Virtuoso. Venturious sounds like a like a, the kind of thing you would mark yourself on and like a dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what you're saying is that's perfect for Rusty. Like I I, I don't know. I, I you know it's funny with as much time as I've spent with this character and these characters, I hadn't thought about what his supervillain name might have been. I guarantee that if we opened this up to our listeners, we'd get some really good ones. And actually, uh, we have a feature. Um, depending on where you're listening to our podcast, uh, we actually host through Anchor. So if you go to Anchor or Spotify, um, you can actually leave us voice messages. Um, so I know uh, you can definitely interact with us that way. And obviously, we've kind of hit a wall here. Um, so please, listeners, what would Dr. Venture's villain name be? Like in this alternate Ventureverse where he signed you know, the paper and went off down the other path, um, you know, what, what would he call himself? And obviously it has to start with the letter V like that oh, much dude. is known. <laughs> how about, how about vengeance? Vengeance. 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 Nice. Wow. I, 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 yep. That's not bad. That's not bad. I, I guarantee our listeners are much smarter than we are. So we'll let them get the, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let them get in on that. So, uh, we also get that moment where Doc is quaking, like his whole ego, his entire self has been completely broken down by this process. And he is literally like, and metaphorically laid bare. He is indeed. And he's like, Brock, just told me. <laughs> and he, Brock doesn't want to. And he turns to the alchemist. He's like, hey, you wanted to help. <laughs> is like, that the severance <laughs> package? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and by Dude, the way, like, bu- that's probably one of the best Brock Doc moments. Like, hold me, Brock. He's like, uh, you guys wanted to help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I've got a buddy whose last name is Severance, and I have always like, if that were my last name, every time I was looking to take a girl home, like, hey, you want me to give you the Severance package? No. <laughs> oh, dude, uh, it's like a. We, <laughs> We actually know somebody uh, with the last name Downs, and uh, I pitched her a podcast called Down Syndrome. <laughs> oh. 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 <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> that just Larry, you might have just Larry King the podcast. <laughs> so moving, moving on. Uh, All right. Kirk I immediately it, regret it. that. <laughs> Kirk it, Beast. You got this. 
<laughs> so, oh my with God. that being said, it feels like we are rapidly drawing to a close. And this is actually so coming up on one of my favorite parts of the episode. It's really like the whole thing is a beautiful episode. And uh, I know it has kind of a quirky ending. And, you know, we've gone, this, a, we've gone back and forth on this. You and lab. I disagree about the ending. So you, you you give your pitch, I'll give mine, and we'll, we'll see where we get. So once, you know, the dust settles in the control room, um, and then, like, you know, uh, the camera pans up, and you see constellations in the shape of both Man-Hours and Killinger's face, right? But Killinger first. Killinger first. And Killinger right. gives this great, you know... Uh, speech like from Shakespeare about how all the world's a stage and everybody are you know has different parts and a man in his life uh you know will in his lifetime will play several parts and you know just this beautifully eloquent and very relevant speech uh written by you know Shakespeare at which point you know the celestial form of man hours follows up with and you can read more about it in the bible and to me Ugh. like yeah see i love the groan see this is like one of the 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 better like it's a meta dad joke so we've gone through <laughs> all this right like you've got your you know uh analog for god you've got your analog for satan there's like a little bit of job there's definitely like a cain and abel i mean they even like name check cain and yeah. abel so there's all these yeah. biblical references and stuff um and and you know motifs yeah. and themes and then they take you from, hey, check out our subtext to this is our subtext. Like they put your finger right on it. Um, and it's almost like when you tell a joke and the punchline doesn't land, but then you're like, huh? Uh-huh. Shellfish? <laughs> Shellfish? Get it? And I want to be honest with you, that's my favorite part of being a father is my innate superpower for dad jokes and arching people with my terrible humor. Right. Stop the punishment. No, not once ever. Uh, so the, the, it, the, the speech is from As You Like It, right? It's uh, and one I do of Jacques' like monologues, right? Act two, scene seven. And all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. So nice. And you can read more about it in the Bible. Like, now, look, I, I get that we, I get that we have had, like, there is only one character in that episode who could have delivered a line like that. And that was Man Hours. Right? Yep. Uh, that, because if we just have to assume anything about Man Hours... He is as mom, America, uh, apple pie, and like rifles as anybody on earth, right? Like the nuclear bomb is God's way of saying America's better. You, know? <laughs> you can't hug your kids with nuclear arms, but you can salute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I, I, I get having that character say it, but if they had just left that part off, the ending would have landed more cleanly to me because out of everything in that episode, that's the one line that doesn't fit. And that's saying a lot about Adventure Brothers now, episode. Now, what about the conspiracy theory that said that Shakespeare actually wrote the King James Bible? 
I mean, you know, maybe they're telling us something. Here. <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> One man, the King James Bible. Supposedly. Uh, Wait, is that an actual you know. conspiracy theory? Oh, yeah. yeah God, yes, yes. people are... Dude, <laughs> so, they're having and, expeditions and to go I, check I, on the flat earth, Jason. Yes, people are. You're exactly right. Oh. <laughs> so that is, you know, of all the things to add, like it just it didn't sit right with me. And so I think we really need to turn to Robo Bob here as our tiebreaker. What you got for us? Uh, it is that, uh, you know, remember who assembled you and programmed your hard drive. <laughs> it was the playing. maker. <laughs> no. um, the thank the maker um yeah i i i tend to i i tend to side with beast on this um you know i made a joke i don't know if it went to tape about the silly conspiracy theory that shakespeare wrote the king james bible but also um you know this is kind of where i thought this tied in a little bit with uh with um uh, the A Wonderful Life, because at the very beginning scene of that, it's a galaxy talking to another galaxy in a night sky. And then a star comes in, and, but it's mainly these two galaxies. And one's, I think, God and one's a saint or something. And they're talking about how they're going to mess with Jimmy Stewart's character. And uh, I, I kind of felt like, you know... I don't know if it's if they even consciously did anything like it, but having these two major players in this episode, having their visages as constellations, um, I don't know. I, I thought there might have been a tie in there. But I really think that you are overrepresenting Man Hours' place in the episode. Man Hours isn't there as a functioning character. Well, Man Hours, like if anything, you could have had that same, you know the other opposing view be the idea that, uh, you know, like a, another character like Orpheus, for instance, right? right? Essentially saying, no, your life, your destiny is your choice. Like you're not assigned a role. You choose who you get to play. See, but I think, uh, I think, man, but you can't read one... more about that in the Bible. <laughs> well, and, and that, and that was the joke. But I also think Manhauer is also represented. Um, Beast and I were talking about this. All right. Well, Killinger represents everything Doc ever wanted on a silver platter. Manhauer's basically represents the universe just saying no to him right in the face. You know, he's that big universal. Well, you want it, but you can't have it. And, well, know. by that same token, man hours could represent, you know, actually, when you phrase it like that, so Killinger represents getting everything that you want the wrong way. Right. Man hours represents getting it the right way, earning it. Right. Because he was trying to get it from man hours at the beginning. Right. Well, and the only thing I will say in terms of like, you know, broad interpretation mm -hmm. that I will say that you are right. Um, only because later on, like uh, man hours does appear in an episode and like, it's not like when Killinger reappears, right? So Killinger is officiating the wedding of, uh, you know, Dr. Mrs. The Monarch um, and uh, you know, the Monarch. And then he shows up in this episode and then he comes back later uh, kind of doing the same shtick for the revenge society 
uh, come to find out he's tied into the investors mm -hmm. and like his mythos kind of gets a little bit more mystical and magical and you know uh, very you know just um, ethereal yeah. whereas man hours like as a character you know we talk about like them writing checks that they don't know that they're going to cash later right. that was a check that yeah that was a check that they wrote and then they just tore up. They were like, you know, he's exactly just a general. And right. to me, like, if they would have taken it and had him, you know, be something more down the line, well, it totally and, would have justified this giant celestial head if he had the, if he was the same thing for good guys. You know, if he popped up. Imagine for a moment if instead of Man Hours, it was Traster. Oh, I would like that. It should have been Traster. I'll say that. But. Like in terms of, uh, you know, the the dichotomy of the, you know, um, favor and, you know, falling out of favor of God, right? Like, you know, the, the Job thing. Um, yeah, it should have been Traster, like, you know, because the army isn't in charge of managing, um, you know, the quote-unquote super scientists that OSI is. Right. Well, they come to find out that's some some murky water like, later on when they're having their their like big treaty meeting at the the burn down, you know, guild way yeah. way way down the line. And this is one of my favorite parts of the show is getting into the fake like bureaucratic minutia um <laughs> like the guild of calamitous intent and OSI. <laughs> Peril partnership. Why is pee, pee on your belt? Right. Um, so yeah, that really, uh, that, that kind of puts a bow on our, our look at the doctor is sin. Does, uh, anybody have anything that kind of want to wrap us up with? Um, the reasons that I wanted to pick this episode, I hope have become apparent and that we get to see Rusty Venture more or less in his entirety in this episode, and there are very few episodes that give us this opportunity, right? Where we get a dive into not just what a character is, but what they could be, and then have them make a choice about how they want that to go. And it just so happens that the choice that Rusty makes resets the sitcom, yeah. <laughs> right? Like every sitcom's kind of got to pick back up, but that is one of the strengths of this show is that everything that happens in the universe happens in the universe. And there's no undoing it. And I, I just all the credit in the world to Hammer and Public, you know, uh, for what they've managed to pull together and how they've managed to build around this. This is one of the most brilliant shows on television because it is constantly giving you something you didn't know you wanted until you've gotten it. And I felt like this episode was such a treat in this yep. regard. And how about you, Robo Bob? Well, I, I have to agree and, and just say it's, it's a real good look right into doc and right into that, into the universe. And, uh, you know, and by looking at this, you know, we can see like, you know, like, uh, like Brock said, we, you know, it brings it back to, we can continue just like every, every sitcom in, you know, it, it can start again because nothing really changed, even though he, everything could have. But uh, I don't know. You come out knowing him, knowing uh, Doc better and uh, 
you know, having a better idea of what, what, what his life means to him. Well, uh, really like, uh, I, I gotta say, I completely agree with that. Um, it's one of the few episodes where, you know, the ending of the episode has an impact, but not necessarily in continuity. Right. You know, things don't change, but again, going back to like, this is about as stereotypical sitcom ending as you get from these guys. Yeah. Um, you know, with that being said, you can learn more about it by watching the Venture Brothers. Hey. <laughs> or listening to Darth Vader read the Bible. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm actually looking on eBay now for that version of the Bible just to have it. <laughs> like, I want to get Michael Center Nicholas to sign that. That's hilarious. right. So, but all right, guys, uh, can we get a go team venture? All right. Go team team venture. venture. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next time here on our very own Conjectural Technologies Venture Brothers con- podcast, sponsored by Venture Industries. And by Venture Industries, I mean our time. <laughs> Later on, guys. Conjectural Technologies is hosted, researched, and produced by Professor Brock Savage, Beast LaMode, and RoboBob. Additional research provided by associate producer Audrey Hartburn. Audio engineering by BrickFrog. Reach out to us on Twitter at conjecttech underscore pod or by email at conjecturaltechpodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Jackson Public and Doc Hammer, without whom we would not be here. And as always, thanks for listening. And go Team Venture! And by our time, I mean this guy found rooting around in my trash cans. And by trash cans, I mean underwear drawer. (laughs) Just outside the prayer closet. (laughs) All right, Later. later.